Happy Sabbath all. Thank you so much for having us uh, in your country. It is a long way from home, but we are happy to be with you. I have been tremendously blessed uh, meeting new people and sitting in the seminars. I was sitting in one of the dental seminars yesterday afternoon with two of my new friends, and three of us are all recent graduates or students. And uh, we saw one of our good friends coming in who was significantly more learned than we are, more experienced, has probably done collectively more school than all three of us combined. And we said, hey, come sit in our row. You can bring the average age of experience up to par with everyone else. So, you know, I'm really blessed to see how an amen, um, all of you that have experiences, so willing to invest in young lives and to show us what it means to be a living example of your faith and your practice as well. I've been asked to share a little bit today about my experience as a dentist so far. Um, I'm only very early in my career, uh, but I pray that the story you hear today would not be my story, but a story of God's faithfulness and of his wisdom and of his grace. So on that note, I'd invite you to pray with me as we start today. Father, we are just so thankful for this Sabbath day, and Lord, we are thankful for the ways in which you have led us, even if we did not know in the past. And so, Father, I pray that as we enter into this hour, you would send your holy angels to be here here with us, uh, and that your spirit would fill this place. May I decrease and may you increase. May you hide me behind your cross, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you had met me when I was 8 or 9 or 10 and asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would probably have looked at you and said something like, I have no idea, but I want to do something that no one else has done before. See, instinctively, I was this kid. I was an ambitious little tyke, but I was also very quiet. And so I remember wanting to do things differently and wanting to think outside of the box. I remember when I was in second grade, and our assignment was to make a model of the human body. And so I remember, you know, all of us brought our our A2-sized poster paper, and we wanted to make a life-size model of the human body. And I waited until the day before it was due, because I wanted to see what everyone else was doing so that I could do it differently. And then when I saw what everyone, you know, everyone had done the standard, you have the mouth and the nose and the stomach and the liver and and whatnot. And I decided, well, no, no one has tried to make it 3D yet, so I'm going to make mine 3D. So that whole night I made my mom stay up with me and we made a, um, we, we coiled out six meters of like string or something so it would simulate the small intestine. Anyway, so the point being that I really wanted to kind of, I always wanted to think outside the box. And as I grew up, um, that kind of amalgamated more into career choices. And I really wanted, essentially, naively, I thought, to change the world in some way. I thought that I wanted to be revolutionary. And then amalgamating that with, you know, growing up as a good Adventist kid that went to Sabbath school every week and so forth. My childhood heroes were people like Esther, people like Joseph, people like Daniel, all these characters, iconic characters in the Bible that had accomplished so much, characters of faith. And I thought, these are the people that I want to learn from. There was one story in the Bible that never really struck me as very relevant um, or very inspiring. And that was a story that I want to briefly touch on today. And I invite you to turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. 
And Mark chapter 10 picks up where Jesus, it's a bit of a hectic scene. Jesus has been busy all day and he has his disciples trying to manage a crowd of people coming to him. And, and he has every, everyone that you can imagine trying to offer him something. The Pharisees are trying to ask him smart questions so they look impressive. You know, parents are trying to bring their cute kids to get a blessing. The disciples are trying to look noble and manage the scene. And everyone's trying to impress Jesus. And then in verse 17, we meet this one character. And verse 17 tells us, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? We all know the story of the rich young ruler, and growing up, I never really thought that applied to me, because after all, I was neither rich nor a ruler, so I thought that would exclude me from this story, and I just thought, well, you know, this is a, one of those nice stories that you learn in cradle roll, and, 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 and that's it. But as I went through, you know, schooling, as I went through college, university, and as I went through the early years of my career, I started to realize what lessons God had in this story for me. You see... The rich young ruler came to Jesus, and he, he kind of stood out from the crowd already. He came, he was humble, he was kneeling, he pretty much just asked Jesus to name his price. He said, Jesus, what, whatever you ask, whatever I need to do, tell me what that is. And so as, a, as an Israelite ruler, that's pretty revolutionary as it is. You know, for someone like him, in his position, groomed to be Sanhedrin one day, to come to Jesus and say this, he was essentially wanting to be a revolutionary. You know, as I sit in the midst of so many doctors and dentists, we hear a lot about being the right arm of the gospel. We hear a lot about humble servanthood of medical missionary work, of recognizing God as a supreme healer, of wanting to introduce him to our patients, and so forth. We tick all the right boxes, and we say all the right things, and we think that perhaps, maybe, if we have the right attitude like the rich young ruler did, we can change the world through our work through our faith. You know, we have an unparalleled level of sleep deprivation, probably more so in the medical field than the dental field, and we think maybe if we sacrifice more, if we study harder, if we are nicer to our patients, if we pray more for our patients, maybe we can change the world. Maybe we can be revolutionaries for God. It was never a question of the rich young ruler's sincerity because inspiration tells us that he saw the love for Christ manifested toward the children that were there. And his heart was kindled with love for the Savior. He felt the des- a desire to be Jesus' disciple. He was asking with sincerity and earnestness. But Jesus answers in verse 18 with this rhetoric question that really leaves us hanging. Verse 18 says, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. And that is the question that faces each and every one of us today. You know, we are all Christians. We say God is good. We respond with all the time. But the question comes to us, what is it about God that you consider good? Why do you call God good? And the same question was asked of the rich young ruler. What is the sincerity of our heart? And when I was reading what Ellen White has to say about this character, there's a particular sentence that really stood out to me. Only one thing did he lack, but that was a vital principle. He needed the love of God in his soul. See, the rich young ruler was so busy trying to be revolutionary for God. He was, in all, you know, in, in all 
ways and manners, a devout um, spiritual person. But he lacked the roots. He lacked that deep connection to the person that, that he was speaking to. He lacked that deep sense of Christianity in his soul. He lacked the love of Jesus. And Jesus' response is unambiguous. It's very simple. Verse 21, he says, Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. When I was growing up, and I... I, I I grew up in a very medical-ish sort of family. My immediate family, my parents are not medically related, but a lot of our extended family are, and very accomplished doctors. And so as I started to grow up, I kind of always assumed that I would go into medicine. It wasn't so much a, a thing of prestige or status, because it was just... The norm. It was very expected. Uh, but I always imagined that I would go down the pediatric route. I liked kids. I liked to play with them. And I thought there would be nothing better than getting to play with them all day, every day. I'm told that is not so much the case. But anyway, so I thought. Uh, my family converted into Adventism because of the New Start Health message. Um, and, my, and my parents were... Pentecostal Sunday Christians, and because of the health message, when I was very young, they became Adventists and brought us up that way. Because I was a very ambitious person, I was, I was quite driven, but I am also a very shy, introverted person, so I would shy away from competition with other people. I would never want people to know, you know, like, it wasn't a competition between me and anyone else, it was a competition between me and myself. And so I would always um, thrive on the challenge of diversity, thrive on the challenge of doing something new, something difficult. And so I thought medicine would provide me with this opportunity, and it would help me to amalgamate or marry the two aspects of my life very well. I thought I would want to go into mission work, and I thought that perhaps if I studied really hard, and I did well in school, and I did mission work, then maybe... I could do something revolutionary for God. I liked the fast pace of medicine. I I knew a lot about what it involved in the training path in Australia, at least, because of the number of family members that we have in the medical field. And I had kind of already identified, okay, so when I'm in medical school, maybe I'll do this for ministry. And then when I, you know, when I become a young professional, maybe I'll do this. And even when I'm in residency and training, maybe I can still do these things. And I had it all worked out in my head. And come the end of high school, so in Australia, you go straight into medical school or dental school from, from high school. And so come the end of high school, God was extremely merciful, and I received full academic scholarships to every medical and dental school that I applied to. The exception to that was, to my dismay, the medical school in my home state. And so unlike in the U.S., many people going to medical school or dental school in Australia will stay within their home state. So you go to high school, you go to university, and you most probably do residency and and, um, develop your career in your home state. So moving into state is, is not as common as it is here. And so I faced this dilemma. Would I move interstate to do medicine, something that I had always imagined I would do, or would I stay in my local church, in my local state, and, and do dentistry instead? 
Now, mind you, I had never imagined that I would do dentistry. I, I honestly put it down on my list of preferences because you have to put 12 preferences down. And I needed something to put down. Um, and I remember going to the first day of dental school and I had classmates from really dental families. They were just really pumped about teeth. <laughs> and I just couldn't identify with their love for teeth. You know, like, I would say, hi, how are you? My name is Berenice, etc. And they're like, hi, hi. Uh, so do you know anyone in the dental school? My dad graduated here, X and Y year. I'm like, oh, okay, no, no, I, I, I don't. I don't have any dentists in my family. They're like, oh, that's okay. Um, you know, I've been working in my dad's clinic for 10 years, but, you know, you'll get it after a while. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So I go to the next person, and the next person's like, hi, hi, how are you? Um, oh, you don't have any family in, in dentals, um, in the dental scheme either? I'm, no, no, I don't. That's okay. You know, we can make up for it. I personally have bought a compressor from the hardware store, and I've been practicing on plastic teeth in my dad's garage. I was like, oh, okay. I, I'm clearly not, uh, not prepared for this, as you are. And, and then, you know, we'd talk to upperclassmen as they came through on our orientation day. And, uh, and then one of my new friends, a, a freshman like me, would be like, hey, did you know we get to make our first denture next week? I was like, oh, okay, that's exciting. <laughs> I, I just, I, I went into dentistry and I really had no natural inclination or love for, for this, this uh, place that I was placed. But anyway... At the time when I was facing the decision between medical school or dental school, I knew that God had very specific, time-specific ministry requirement, uh, ministry commitments that he had called me to in my, in my local church. So at that time, I was helping to organize some youth conferences. I was doing um, some things with public campus ministries in my local church. And more importantly, there were certain contacts, non-Adventist contacts, that God had placed in my care that I knew would be lost if I left for medical school interstate. So the question came to me, and this was a question I had to grapple with for a long time. Am I going to be a Christian first or a doctor first? And so, as you already know, I picked dental school. And I went into dental school and, and so forth. And thus began five years of craziness. I didn't even know it was possible to fit so much into a human brain. Um, <clears throat> but... What reminded me of this story of the rich young ruler is that when we think of this rich young ruler, we usually associate the sacrifice that he had to make with his money or his time. And so we would say, well, let's be more generous. Let's give to mission. Or even better yet, let's do mission instead. And maybe that is what God is calling me to sacrifice. But it took me a long time to realize that my drive and my personal um, ambitions showed the same skewed priorities that the rich young ruler had. That I, if I was placing my career in front of where God wanted me to be, that essentially I would lack the love of Jesus that the rich young ruler lacked too. Matthew 6, 20 to 21 tells us, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And for the rich young ruler, true discipleship would mean that he would have to have no strings attached. It wasn't so much the money in and of itself was a bad thing, but it was a constant reminder of the, the pull that his previous life had on him. 
So to continue the story, part of being in such a medically related family was that, as, as you know, I didn't know much about dental school when I went into dental school. But also when I graduated, I really didn't really have much idea of the dental sphere of things. I always... Um, I knew a lot of Adventist doctors in Australia. I didn't know very many Adventist dentists. So I had no idea what it looked like, practically, to be an accomplished, faithful, uh, ambitious Adventist dentist. And so I didn't realize or I didn't fully appreciate until I started working how bad the dental market was. And so at the time that I graduated, it was one of the most oversaturated dental markets in Australia, particularly in Victoria, where I live. And so many of the older dentists were not hiring associates and so forth because they wanted to keep more work in-house. As a new graduate, they told us to be prepared to work at all hours of the day, night, and anywhere that you could really find work as far as you were willing to drive. And the further out, the better. And so... You know, as we, we said, okay, and, and we all applied. There were about three different jobs that everyone in the class, you, you know this as students, there are these jobs that everyone in the class applies for, and you end up seeing your whole class at every interview. But anyway, so these are the jobs that everyone wants because you know that these are the ones with the best mentorship. These are the ones that are going to help you to get some long-term um, employment and so forth. And so like everyone else, I, I applied for these jobs. I was offered several of these lucrative jobs, and, and they promised me job security, they promised me mentorship, they promised me a lot of things. But they all required you to work on Sabbath. And so as a young graduate in an oversaturated market, you're not really in a position to say, I will take your job for five-sixths of the week and you can keep Sabbath. So I had to turn down those jobs, and I ended up in this small little country town um, where God gave me some time to get some experience under my belt. But then came the struggle of, well, if I say that I'm going to be a Christian first and a doctor or a dentist or whatever second, then what does being so far away from where God has called me to minister mean for my ministry? Does it mean that you know, I can be the person in church that does the token health presentation once a quarter, and then I'm not even there to follow up with the contacts that come through? Or does it mean that the only ministry I'm ever involved in is on Saturdays when I make it back from the country, and then during the week, that's it. That's the end of my ministry experience. And so I made the decision to move back to the metropolitan area, and as you can imagine, the job situation was even worse there. So out of maybe 100 jobs, uh, maybe 20 would be open to recent or new graduates. And then maybe out of those 20.5 would consider non-Sabbath work. And so I felt really hamstrung on every side. Here was this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed little teenager that thought she was going to change the world through holy means. And I wanted to develop as a dentist. I said, okay, God, you've put me in this place. Well, even though I don't really love teeth yet, maybe you can teach me how. And so I wanted to develop as a dentist, but I couldn't get a good job. All the courses that I wanted to do to further my development seemed to be on Sabbath, and I just felt like I was stuck. It was very tempting to view the circumstances as God not living up to his end of the deal. Because I said, God, you know, I have been, I thought I had been faithful to you. I studied hard. I tried to put you first. I gave up my dream career. 
And this is what happens now. I had to ask myself whether I saw God as a transactional God, a prosperity God, or whether he was just God that was supreme. Was he a God that would only be my God if he gave me the answers that I wanted in the way that I wanted, and preferably at the time that I wanted? And my asking this showed as much about my heart as it did of the rich young ruler's. Desire of Ages 5.20, paragraph 2 says, to keep back little or much from God was to retain that which would lessen his moral strength and efficiency. For if the things of this world were cherished, they will become all-absorbing. When I was going through this roller coaster of going from interview, getting the job, turning down the job because of Sabbath, and repeating and repeating the process again, one of my close friends was listening to the story, and she looked at me, And she said, you know, you're the type of person that is willing to be everything for God. But are you willing to be nothing? Are you willing to be nothing for God? And that question has stayed with me from that day. See, God has this most peculiar way of doing things. And and when the rich young ruler has sold everything, and he tells him to sell everything at least, he says, okay, so now that you have nothing, this is when you're going to give to the poor. And so he's taken that step of faith, and God asks him to take yet another. In our line of work, we are fortunate to be able to aid those in physical need. But there is a need that is much greater than that, and that is spiritual need. And God had to remind me, you are only in your chosen profession so that you're in a better position to meet people's spiritual need. So as I had to evaluate the jobs that were available to me, I had to ask myself, am I neglecting those that have spiritual need, first and foremost? Am I neglecting those that God has entrusted to my care in my local church? First and foremost, am I neglecting those duties at the expense of this career that I thought would help me to be this revolutionary person for God? Is my clinic or my workplace, as noble as it is, my only ever ministry field? Or am I open to God's leading in other ways too? So, to cut a long story short, as these things go, when you get a little bit more experience under your belt, and uh, people start to open doors to you. And so these three jobs that I had applied for with the lucrative companies that I had turned down uh, about maybe two years prior called me back. And they said, hey, we're expanding now, and we would like you to come work for us. Uh, we, We kept your resume in file. We thought you'd be a good addition to the team, blah, blah, blah. So I went into the first interview with them, And it was a practice manager, and she was new, and so she wasn't familiar with my interview previously. And and so I said, okay, this this all sounds good, but I will not be available to work on Friday nights to Saturday nights for religious reasons, et cetera, et cetera. She kind of looked at me, and she's like, okay. So she she scribbled it down on a piece of paper, and I thought, well, you know, here goes nothing. That's okay. And so I went back to my job, and I was content to stay there. And I got a call maybe three or four days later, and they said, look, we we really liked you, and uh, we just need to let you meet with the principal dentist, and and then it should be okay. We are happy to accommodate for your Sabbath requests. And so I thought, oh, uh, praise the Lord. 
And, and then during that week, I got another call from the second clinic and the third clinic, and it was much the same. They said, okay, um, you know, we'll work around your, your Saturday thing, and, and it'll be fine. But we want you to work this and this hours from Monday to Friday and so forth. And I, I had to take a step back and I said, look, this is the opportunity that I've been waiting for. And maybe this is the door that God is now opening to me. But when I looked at the hours and the requirements that they were asking from me, I realized two things. The first was that I was going to be late every Friday night to the public campus ministries group that I was serving in if I worked in that place. I was going to be so drained from the long hours and the late nights that they wanted me to work that I wouldn't have any time for Bible studies that I had to do during the week and for following up with those contacts. They wanted me to start in April of this year, actually, and I had already planned a mission trip, and they weren't going to negotiate on that start date. So I said, thank you very much, but I think uh, this is not the option for me at this time. And I realized at that point, the issue was never Sabbath. The issue was about my priorities. And the priority is, will you be a Christian first and a dentist second or a doctor or whatever God has called you to be? When Jesus calls us to take up his cross and follow him, only he knows where he's going to lead you. For the longest time, I didn't think there was anything significant about my story. Because after all, as, as an Adventist, you grow up with mission stories of fantastical things. People go to Africa. They nearly get eaten by a lion. And here I am sitting in Australia, you know, comfortable life. I have a job. I mean, I had to turn down some jobs for Sabbath, but people have died for Sabbath, you know, like this, this is nothing. And after all, I didn't have a happy ending yet. You know, as Adventists, we are so used to the happy ending of someone gives up their job and God gives them a better job in a bigger firm and, and so forth. Or someone gives up something and God gives them a bigger something, something, something. You, you know the rubric. It's, it's like a formula. And as Adventists, sometimes we forget that the, the end point is not the happy ending, but happiness in Christ. And so I thought for a long time that, oh, maybe I don't have anything to share because I don't want to discourage people by telling them that I don't have the happy ending yet. But as I prayed about it, God told me that is exactly the point. You need to learn how to be content. And so... I am reminded, in contrast to the story of the rich young ruler, of the story of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was similarly a rich person, uh, very esteemed, well, not very well liked, but certainly had positioned in society. But when he sacrificed everything, he was never given an assurance that he would be restored to his former glory. He was never restored to his former glory from all that we know, unlike someone like Job. For all we know, Zacchaeus, the story ends when he made restitution and he was happy in Jesus. But that is the whole point of the story of Zacchaeus. That it's not the happy ending, it's his contentment. Yet, God had another lesson for me. And he had to teach me that there's a big difference between contentment and complacency. And so Zacchaeus' contentment was one that drove him to action, and God expects no less of his children today. If 
for all the students that are here, I want you to remember that you are only in dental, medical, pharmacy, nursing school, whatever, so that you can be of better use for the kingdom of heaven. That is the only purpose why God calls us to be educated. When I first started working, and after many months of toing and froing, and, and at that time I was still driving, uh, I think it would have been like 100 miles one way to work to this rural little town that I was working in, I was feeling a little sorry for myself. So I thought, oh, poor me. And uh, driving gets really tiring. And when you first start out of dental school, nothing really prepares you for the workforce like actually working. Um, So I found everything in work hard, and it was challenging, and there was so much to learn. I even had one of the people that I was interviewing me wish me luck, very earnestly, of course, but wish me luck for my future career if I wasn't going to be open to working or at least learning on Sabbaths because there was no clinic, according to her, um, or no way that someone with so little experience was going to make it. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. I'm feeling so sorry for myself, but then when I met with that person and when she said that to me, I realized we have a responsibility as Adventists to be excellent in every field, not in spite of of our faith, but because of it. And there is a big difference. So I sat down, and I think one of the biggest blessings um, God has given me is a godly sibling, and there is nothing quite like it. But anyway, so my older brother... um, let me mope for a gracious period of two days. And then he said, okay, that's enough moping. We need, to, we need to help you get out of this rut. And so we sat down and we made a list of things that I could do um, to increase my usefulness for the kingdom of heaven, even though the circumstances were less than ideal in my eyes. And so I started to join a clinical-based research group. And I started to volunteer for oral health promotion activities with the Dental Association. I became their representative to go to different schools and so forth. And I started to volunteer in this and that. I started to develop more um, a taste for mission dentistry and to organize trips and, and do all these different types of things. But yet God wanted me to realize that my mission field is not necessarily always only in far-flung countries with African animals and cute kids, but also where he has placed me right now. And at that time, I remember my morning devotions were something along the lines of, God, I want to be able to appreciate people with the heart that you have for us, that I want to be able to see people with your eyes. And so I didn't realize how he would answer this prayer. After um, a couple of weeks, I had this new Bible student that I was supposed to give Bible studies to. And uh, she was previously a Sunday Christian. She had gone to several different denominations. And I, we, we usually give Bible studies in Paris. So we sat down on the first day with her and, and my Bible study partner. We said, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell us what you'd like to get out of the Bible studies, etc. And she crossed her arms and she said, well, I've already Googled you and I already know all the differences between your faith and mine. So all I really want to know is what you think about the Sabbath and what it involves. And I'm not looking to join your church, so don't ask me to get baptized. I will let you know if and when I am ready. So like, oh, okay, all right. 
And, and then she started to tell us a little bit more. And so she said, you know, I, um, she is half Asian as well. So I, I am, you know, I grew up in this very ambitious family. I have a lot of doctors in my family. I've always wanted to be a pediatrician and I'm on track to doing that now. I've had my life planned out from X number of years and I thought, oh, okay, God, this is enough, enough parallelism. I'm, I'm seeing it now. And then she kept going and she said, you know, but recently I've had some personal events in my life, X, Y, Z, and my plans have been all thrown off course and I don't know what to do now. I said, okay. So God, this is, this is really nice. I, I get the object lesson, but I don't know how you expect me to help this person if I don't have the answers myself. Anyway, so we went into the Bible studies, and over the next couple of months, we studied about different things. We studied about doctrines and so forth. But as she highlighted, the biggest sticking point for her was always Sabbath and the personal implications that that would have. So on her career, what would her family think? Would she lose friends? Um, if she was going to join this cult thing, would she be able to find a life partner? You know, like all these types of things that naturally everyone asks. And I realized as I was going through the studies that the whole point of the exercise and the whole point of me giving the Bible studies, why God had given her to me as a Bible student, was so that I would realize the most important message for her was not to hear that it would be okay. The most important message for her was to hear that even if it is not okay, we are faithful because Jesus is enough. And if God had given me my happy ending, then she would not have been able to appreciate that message. And I, I want you to realize and, and, and to appreciate that I'm not saying this out of any disrespect to doctors. I have many, many spiritual mentors that are um, devout Christian doctors. And I see the way that they balance their personal life, their ministry life, and they excel in their career. They reach out to their non-Christian family members. And I have a lot of respect for what they do. I have a lot of respect for Christian dentists as well. And I aspire to be like those um, that I've met some of you here as well. Uh, and how you're able to use your faith for others. When I was about to leave Australia to come here, the day before I left, I was due to give a presentation on a research project that I was involved in to the local um, Australian Dental Association branch. So I went to the research meeting, and as, as things go, I was very unprepared for the trip, so I was packing and doing all sorts of things, and the research project was really the furthest thing from my mind. So when I got in the room, I, uh, I realized I was the only one under the age of 50. So there sat my, my former pediatrics professor, then there was the former perio professor, the former head of research, the head of research for the Australian uh, Dental Research Fund, da, 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 and, and this whole room, and I was the only little one at the back, and I was due to give this presentation that I felt very, very unprepared for. So anyway, I, it was my turn, and I got up to do the presentation, and I honestly felt like it was one of the worst presentations I'd ever given. I felt like I was very distracted. I didn't have my thoughts in the right place. And so I sat down and I thought, well, when it's all done, I'll just slip out the door and, and you know, I'll, I'll just fly to America. <laughs> 
And so I was out the door, I was nearly out the door, I should say, when the, the president of the uh, Dental Association came up and shook my hand and said, thank you very much for your presentation. Um, it was a very good presentation. I, I remember you. I just appointed you to the oral health committee of the Dental Association. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, you know, I remember when you first applied for that two years ago, and I read your resume, and at the time, I didn't have any vacancies for you because this is long waiting list to get into the committee, and you only get on when someone gets promoted, um, resigns, or dies. So, so he said, you know, I just kept your resume there, but I figured that we have to find something for you. Now tell me, I read in your resume you do all these different types of things. You do a lot of pro bono work with your church. You seem to be very interested in um, aid dentistry. You seem to be very interested in research as well. You seem to be very interested in oral health promotion and so forth. So what compels you? What motivates you to do what you do? And I kind of looked at him for two seconds. And then I said, you know, I never ever imagined that I would be a dentist. But now that I am... I want to be the best dentist that I can be. And that means that each and every day I want to be a better dentist than I was the day before. That means that I need to learn as much as I can. That means that I want to learn as much about my profession as I can. But it also means that I want to meet the needs of my patients and see their heart. And one of the best ways I know how to do that is through my faith. And so he looked at me and he said, hmm, well, I, I, I don't really um, share your faith, but I appreciate your motivation. And I want you to keep doing what you're doing because in a few years, I'd like you to serve on council. You are the type of person that we want representing our profession. And I left that, that presentation, and I thanked God that he must have sent angels to cover his ears during my presentation or, or something. <laughs> But I, but I left that presentation and I realized this critical point. That when we talk about revolution, a lot of us talk about um, us being the change that we want to see. You've, you've heard that saying a lot. We talk about us being the revolutionaries, us doing the changing. But being radical has nothing to do with us doing the changing and everything to do with us being rooted in Jesus. And then God is the one that does the changing in and through us. I want to thank the Amen Board on behalf of all the recent graduates, on behalf of all the students that are here, for your intentional investment in young lives. I am very conscious that there are many students here, but I'm also very conscious of the fact that there are many students that are not. And I think Amen is so critical because when... Us as aspiring, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, 22-year-old graduates come out of dental school and medical school, all we see is accolades and achievement and affluence. But when I look at Amen, I see Jesus. And I think that's so critical for our young people to see today. So as I go ahead in my career, God is leading, God is guiding, God is providing. I am not quite sure yet of where he would have me end up long-term but I am excited to see what he has in store. As I was going through this journey, there was one particular um, song or poem that really struck me. And the more I practiced dentistry, the more I realized there is to learn, not only in dentistry, but in my spiritual life as well. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this song. It says, teach me, Father, what to say, 
Teach me, Father, how to pray. Teach me all along the way how to be like Jesus. Teach me as the days go by. Teach me not to reason why. Teach me that to do or die is to be like Jesus. I would be like Jesus. I would be like Jesus. Help me, Lord, to daily grow more and more like Jesus. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.